Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor Kara. Will, how was Pumpkin Patch Saturday for you with Aunt Hilda? You know, it was a magical time. This was one of the best like layouts to a slate. You know what I'm saying? Because we've had a couple of sickos games around that noon slate, and it's 11 Central as I learned the hard way this time. Not like I missed it or anything, but. You know, everything gets moved up on Central Time because I'm in Alabama. But yeah, it was so perfect. Got to like reconnect with some family and stuff and then just perfectly led into the LSU Ole Miss game. So really a great Saturday. Yeah, when the, when the time slot moves back like that, whenever we see game day on the West Coast like they were when they're in Oregon and you're like, oh, wait a minute. This starts at six o'clock their time and they've been out here since four in the morning. That's a different level of dedication. Eugene looked awesome. It looked really, really cool. Yeah. I've never been to Eugene, but I need to be able to get up there. Yes, throws everything off. But it was a it, it ended up kind of kind of easier way into the slate and it ended up being OK. All right. You do some stuff while that Tennessee game is going on. If you're a real sicko, you're watching that Iowa offense again. Ohio State, which lock of the week hits again. Just saying, mm-hmm. that was stealing money. Um, and you do, you know, like like what we did. You hang out with Aunt Hilda. You make yourself some chili. You do something. You do something productive in that noon slate, and then it's set up for for a nice afternoon and an interesting evening. I think in the sport, uh, we've got a full recap of the four actual games in the SEC. Sorry, we're not going to be talking about Tennessee. Just putting a whooping on UT Martin. Um, not going to be discussing that today. Patrick Willis is going to join us in a little bit, the old Miss legend. And then we're going to close with some SEC power rankings just for fun because who doesn't love power rankings? But first, oh, yeah. before we do that, Texas Pete, you know it. They have the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run, don't walk. Grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 10, take 20, I almost said 10, 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That is all one word, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. All right, Will, let's start with the game that I know had to bring a smile to your face in the second half. Ole Miss, mm-hmm. previously unbeaten, goes into Death Valley. And then proceeds to fall apart in the second half of that game. And LSU rolls 45 to 20. I can't recall a whole lot of instances. And I'm sure I'm wrong on this. Somebody's going to correct me. I can't think of a lot of instances in which a top 10 team lost. Or I shouldn't say lost. They surrendered a 42 to 3 run to close a game. Not maybe, maybe, maybe early in the season when we don't know rankings. Maybe that happened in September. But this late in the season, second to last weekend of October, I, ugh, I I can't think of any specific example. I even went back and I'm like, wait a minute. All right, 2019 LSU, Oklahoma. <laughs> that would be a good example, right? <laughs> Only a 35 yeah. to 7 run was the best in that game. Man. So um, that's a great example to pull because that, yeah, that's wild. Yeah, and it, 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 it got away from Ole Miss in a hurry. Fun fact about this game, LSU trailed at halftime. Yeah, they sure did. Yeah, I think so. To go back to our last pod, you asked me like if I was scared whenever they had that first touchdown with uh, Anthony Richardson. I'm going to be honest with you, Connor. Whenever that offense was hitting with Jackson Dart and they had a very similar deep touchdown that was just on a post route, one-on-one coverage, dude got burned, our best corner. Uh, and then they marched right down the field again after LSU, you know, sold for a field goal, scored again. Judkins was on another level today. He looked really good. And LSU sitting there, you know what I'm saying? Uh, they're down, what, 17 uh, – 17 3 and i was like yeah and i was like this is gonna be bad and the funny thing is uh cody cody warsham the uh works for lsu in some capacity uh chief brand officers yep Twitter Cody's buyer, good dude had yep. this 
Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, he had this stat. LSU was down 13 nothing to Mississippi State on a 13 or so won a 31-3 run. Auburn down 17 nothing, went on a 21-0 run. Florida 21-14 after the muff punt, 28-0 run for LSU. And then yeah, that big run in this game. But I'll tell you what, man, this was the one weirdly with Lane Kiffin that felt the scariest. Because when that offense looks good, man, it looks real good. Yeah. Yeah. The tempo. I think think that's such a big part of it. And you see, you're just like, there's just no answer. There's no way to stop the bleeding. It feels, it has to feel so helpless in those moments. And especially when they have a back like Judkins who gets north to south really quick. And we'll talk about the Ole Miss injuries with the Zach Evans thing was just, just bizarre to kind of find out right before the game. And I'm even I'm scrambling. Mm-hmm. I'm like looking at LSU or Ole Miss beat reporters. I'm like, did they know about this? The knee injury with the brace and he's available, but he's not even playing. So what's what's really the point of that? Um, yeah. So you're watching all this happen and you're thinking, oh, man, I mean, I, I know we talk about LSU just kind of being the ultimate screw it. We don't really care about this deficit. We're just going to come back anyways, team. But even in a game like this, as you, as you mentioned, this had to feel a little bit different because I think with the exception of Tennessee, this is the best offense so far that LSU has faced. And, you know, Mississippi state has looked really good when it's humming as well, but they get Mm -hmm. off to this start and I mean, you're thinking, okay, this 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 might just be Ole Miss's day. We're going to be talking about, wow, Ole Miss, legitimate playoff contender by day's end. And Ole Miss, a team that was 20-0 and 0 under Lane when leading at halftime, a stat that they shared on the broadcast, mm-hmm. they had nothing in the second half. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And instead, LSU, the team that just doesn't look like it should be good enough to flip a switch. Yeah. But it does. It just does. And I'm starting to wonder if LSU can really just be one of those teams that flips the switch. And granted, it didn't work against Tennessee, but they have flipped the switch on every other team on that schedule, including Florida State, a game in which they flipped the mm-hmm. switch a little bit too late. And you can bet that they wanted to flip that switch earlier. Definitely. Yeah. And it's both sides of the ball. That's that's the impressive thing. It's not like it's just the offense waking up. It's just the defense settling into the game. J- Jaden settled into the game very nicely, and he looks like an improved player right now. If you didn't watch Jaden Daniels these last couple weeks and you're just thinking to yourself, ah, this is the guy that we saw against Auburn. This is the guy that really struggled against Florida State. 11 touchdowns in his last two weeks alone. That's good. Yeah. He had over 100 rushing yards in this one, but you didn't feel frustrated by – by how many times he ran the ball, even though I think he ended up with what, like 23 rushing yards in or 23 rushing attempts in this game. Two things that I loved about his day. We talk about the trust pretty much every single recap. We've talked about the trust with the receivers and I bet people are sick of hearing us talk about it. Kayshawn was not the star of this game. Jaden overthrew him a touch and it looks like it should have been six because booty had the separation in the end zone. And then Gary did the mm-hmm. thing where he kind of walked it back and he's like, ah, you know, I guess maybe you overthrew him a little bit. He's Guys, still- cherish the SEC on CBS because it is just a treat. Every time something happens, you have your frustration with what's happening and then you immediately just take it out on Gary when he says something that's just wrong. And it's like, oh yeah, he could have that one. It's like, bro, I don't think he could have. And then you just completely forget the play and just start talking about the broadcast. We we need a common enemy when we're watching these games together and we, we're <laughs> not going to get that when, when the SEC goes away from CBS. You're exactly right. So 
Booty leads the team with seven targets in this game, and he was tied for the mm-hmm. team lead with four catches. There were seven LSU players with multiple receptions. That's a and nobody mm-hmm. with more than four. So all between two and four of those guys. That's a great sign to me because it shows me Jaden Daniels is not just locking in on one target. The other thing that I love from him, he even had a screw it, I'm throwing into double coverage play where he floats the ball to Jenkins. He makes the adjustment on the ball and it goes in for six. He needs to do that sometimes. We've talked about that because you can't always be like that, obviously. And if you're always like that, then that's that's problematic. You're probably going to turn the football over way too much, but you can get away with it more when you have really good receivers, which LSU obviously does. Like I I, Mm -hmm. I kept thinking of the line in, in Sandlot where, you know, this is going to sound so bizarre where, um, where Smalls mom says early on, you know, I'm, I want you to go get into some trouble. Go, go get, go scrape your knee, go out there, run outside. (laughs) What, what kind of mom would tell you this? Go, go, go be a kid. I want you to make friends. I don't want you to stay inside all summer. And Jaden Daniels, I kind of feel like that at at times, but in this game and against Florida, Mm -hmm. I haven't really felt like that. He's going outside. He's scraping his knee. He's getting dirty. He's not afraid to be that guy. And LSU is so much better when he is that guy. Like, LSU looks like it is a team that is finding its groove for sure offensively, 500 yards of offense. And I know that there's the old miss injuries, which that those were that that made that task, which I, I thought was there at times for Ole Miss. It made it almost impossible. And they probably don't win that game at full strength, anyways, but for them to not have AJ Finley, who we have raved about on this podcast, mm-hmm. and then Troy Brown as well, the transfer linebacker, that, that's their top two defenders. They both went down in this game. And then the Zach Evans thing where, you know, as we talked about, he's he's out there, but he's not really out there. And Judkins has to get all the carries. And as good as he looked, the Ole Miss offense still looks better when you have the two fresh backs and then Dart is also able to run. So, mm-hmm. I, again, I, I don't think Ole Miss wins that game at full strength, but the injuries made it an uphill climb. LSU against Power 5 competition in the second half this year, <laughs> plus 51. That includes Tennessee, by the way. That's really, really good. Brian Kelly deserves a ton of credit for that. Matt House deserves a ton of credit for that. Because Jackson Dart got off to a really nice start, and it looked like he was cooking, and I was about to have to eat some crow talking about Jackson Dart, and, and, yeah. and maybe he's a little bit more developed. We were kind of talking about that. Second half, no, uh 8 for 18. 80 yards. And mind you, he had never been in a road venue like that before with all due respect to Vandy and Georgia Tech. Um, Death Valley, a little bit of a different level. He admitted that before the game to Jenny Dell. I was talking about, mm-hmm. she's she's asking him, hey, wh- you know, what do you think you're in for with your LSU experience? Like, I, I don't really know because I've never been in a venue like this. In the fact, well, hadn't been in a venue like this. So he'd only seen it on TV before and it kind of showed. Uh, the pick by Joe Fouché oh, was goodness, man. ridiculous. One-handed grab. Little, little OBJ action, a little bit. Oh, Guys yeah. doing that too much, but a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was a long time coming, though, because Jackson Dart's been playing with fire in the red zone. We've talked about that. It was also a very much a ball don't lie, because how do they not review the fourth down play that it looked like he didn't get there? And I think even old Miss fans would be like, snap the ball, snap the ball, snap the ball. <laughs> They don't review that, but then they spend like 10 minutes reviewing the Jaden Daniels play where he hops into the end zone. Where he was already established as a ball carrier. Like, I get it if he's a receiver. If he's a receiver, it's not a touchdown. But it's like, he just ran into the end zone. There was nothing to really review. Uh, 
guys, I don't have a dog in the fight, but I watching some of these replay decisions and the non-decisions is just maddening. It, it is. Oh, it is so frustrating, but weird. No call um, on that play it ends up not mattering because LSU takes over um, and wins that game convincingly. I don't think that Ole Miss is necessarily fraudulent because of the way that Saturday played out. But I also think we were we were fair in our criticism of Ole Miss, and it wasn't that everybody was sleeping mm-hmm. on them. I think it's okay to diagnose some of the defensive issues that they have. They still have depth issues on defense and offensively. They're one dimensional. Like that's that's who they are. You don't want Jackson Dart playing in obvious passing situations. You don't. You want that at least the mm-hmm. threat of balance, even though that's not what Ole Miss wants to do. So it sets up for a very interesting matchup next week between Ole Miss and A and M in college station. And I have no idea which way I'm leaning on that one based on the way that things played out for both of those teams with very frustrating Saturdays on the road. Um, before I get to some LSU stuff, any thoughts on that? No. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's interesting, man. Cause like I said, for the first half, I had a whole lot of respect for um, Ole Miss. That boy, Malik Heath. <laughs> Mississippi State boy, transfer Heath. is playing well. Yeah. Yeah, he was on fire. I, I went and looked up the stats. It's like, oh, he had like all of the completions. He had 150 yards almost. And like, I, I it, that's what it felt like in real time. And like, to your point, it's it's crazy because we made the point last year and we've been hammering it about last year was about hypo and the scripted plays. But this almost felt that way with Ole Miss where Agreed. the first couple of drives were, you know, the scripted plays from Lane. They felt amazing. But and then after that, it was hard to adjust when you have a quarterback like Jackson Dart. And guys, like, I, I'm not trying to harp on this, but we talked about it in the pregame. We both said this is going to be a close win for LSU. So this is definitely not banging your chest time. But definitely not. <laughs> the things about, <laughs> I've said, like, I've compared Lane Kiffin to a lot of people, but in a way, he really reminds me of Sean Payton because he is an elite offensive coordinator. But, you know, he does he does some things that you would not like to see from your head coach. And we talked about it in the in the in the lead up where it's like Jackson Dart, you can tell, does not have his confidence. And as a head coach, you gotta have, you know, and I know Brian Kelly has yelled at Jaden and stuff, but you you gotta at least on the sideline have that confidence and give that confidence because we've seen two guys on the complete opposite sides of the spectrum here where Jaden has been a little bit squeamish, but he felt so confident today and the home crowd probably had something to do with that. For sure. Whereas Jackson Dart, whenever he would make a mistake, it was like, here comes another mistake and another mistake. And all that is mental. And I don't think, I think Lane Kiffin is a great play caller. I think he's a great game planner, but that's part of being a head coach that I think, I think he still hasn't gotten down, which is that Having all these histrionics is fun when you're the fun, you know, coordinator and when you have Nick Saban and you have whoever to really like write the ship. But when you have a quarterback that obviously can be rattled and he's in an away environment, you need to be his biggest fan and make him feel like nothing he does is wrong. And it looked like he was a guy that just didn't have the trust of his coach the entire game. I think that is a really difficult thing to balance. And we mm-hmm. talked about that a lot with Matt Corral. 2021 Matt Corral admitted he was at a different place mentally because of the confidence that Lane showed in him by leaving him in in those tough moments wherein he had those five interceptions, six interception games, Mm -hmm. and allowing him to work through that and be constructive and not just tear him down was what built him up. So then that's not to say, and we're going to make the connection with Jackson Dart, even though Jackson Dart's originally from Utah, he spent the time at Southern Cal, so it's kind of like, oh, similar type vibes. Um, But what does that look like with Jackson Dart? 
every quarterback is different. And this is the first time that Lane is really having to kind of figure out how does he react in those moments? What does it look like when game flow doesn't go his way and he's not playing with the lead? Because it's totally different to criticize a quarterback when you've got a 20-point lead as opposed mm-hmm. to being in this spot where you feel it slipping away and you realize you're kind of limited in what you're capable of. But it's a great point because it's not something that I, I think we we talk about probably enough is how does that head coach manage his quarterback and how does he kind of make sure that he's getting the constructive criticism that he needs to know you can't just make that throw whenever and you're playing with fire if you make that throw in that spot but at the same time being able to show him hey we 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 can figure this out we're going to be all right and this game might have tested kind of where Jackson Dart's confidence is at and where Lane is able to really work with him and what he's able to figure out about him as a player when things don't go well Mm mm-hmm Okay, so on the LSU side, LSU is going to go into November 4-1 and one in SEC play in control of its own destiny in the West. And I got crap from people saying like, oh, in control of your own destiny isn't a real thing. But then how would you say that? I don't, I don't even know. Like <laughs> they're in the driver's seat in the division. Does that make you feel better? I, whatever. <laughs> Fine. Um, I, listen, I was the first to joke about you're in the driver's seat. You, can't, you don't control your destiny until you play Bama. I get it. You know, I'm not sitting here saying they're, they are technically tied for first place in the West, but that hump is massive. Massive hump. And, and nobody's nobody's pretending that LSU is all of a sudden the favorite to win the division. We're not, we're not saying that. We're not going to overreact in that sort of way. But I wouldn't want to play LSU in the final month. And, and yeah. that matchup where Bama's got to go to Death Valley in a couple of weeks, if Jaden Daniels continues to keep his eyes upfield. And if he can do that against those Bama edge rushers, which we know speed you up like very few people we have seen in, in recent memory in this sport, then that changes the game. But I'll say this, mm-hmm. kind of regardless of what happens against Bama, Ryan Kelly deserves a lot of credit. He does. He absolutely does. And not just because he's 10 and seven against the AP top 25 since the start of 2018, which a lot of people won't really point out if they're anti Brian Kelly and if that fits their right. narrative. But let's look back on how bad things looked in the third quarter of that Florida State game, right? (laughs) Please, please do not. (laughs) If I had told you in that moment, Will, after this day, this night, you're going to win five of your next six games. Well, I guess what is, yeah, five of your next six games. And your only loss is going to be against a team who people are saying should be the number one team in the country. Mm -hmm. You would have taken that all day. Oh, yes. Every day. And oh, by the way, in in this game in the second to last weekend of October, um, Jane Daniels is going to be playing his absolute best football. And Keishon Booty is going to be the is going to be the most targeted guy in that receiver room. You would have taken that. And, yeah. and I did not think that was a given. I absolutely did not. And we, I, I try so hard not to overreact with these year one coaches. But when they do stuff like this, we're going to give them praise. Because Brian Kelly deserves praise, even if Ole Miss doesn't finish anywhere near the top 10, which I think they're more of like an outback bowl type of team. That's kind of the way that the schedule mm-hmm. is going to set up. Then I think we should still be willing to say when a guy has righted the ship and so far – it looks like Brian Kelly has been able to right the ship when we talk about that proverbial second loss and how bad that could be for, for a team, especially when you get blown out at home by Tennessee mm-hmm. and have that response to me is a tip of the cap to Brian Kelly. And he knows what he's doing. 
Yeah, I think, and I've I've made it, you know, a little bit too personal at times about the Brian Kelly hate. But the thing that I've often said is like, you got to at least give the guy a chance. And I think so many people were rooting so hard against him whenever he got to LSU. And it's it's one of those things where it's I've said it over and over again. Am I a big Brian Kelly fan? Would I go get a beer with Brian Kelly? Probably not. But at the end of the day, he's a great. Yeah, he's a great football coach, and that's all that matters. We're not hiring him to be our buddy. We already tried to hire our buddy, you know, with Coach O, and it went well. Obviously, I'm not going to take away what Coach O did right, but you know, having an adult in the room, you know, in, in these moments, and like I said, you know, playing against these two guys and Billy and Lane that both openly wanted the LSU job and and going two and O, I think is massive for Brian Kelly because he's done a lot of these things that we're projecting these other coaches to do, you know? And so I think that it was to your point after week one, I felt like I was living in a nightmare. It was like classic Brian Kelly. Da, da, da. And I hear, you know, as LSU fans, you're lying. If you say you don't hear those voices in the back of your head in all of these comebacks, it's, Oh, you know, Brian Kelly and these big games, da, 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 da. but somehow this team has just coagulated together at the best possible time in all of these moments. And to say that, you know, guys, not a cultural fit. He doesn't connect with these guys in this locker room. There's not been a better case for a team that believes in its coach this year, maybe Tennessee, but they've had a couple of years to get it together than, than these teams getting down by these huge margins when we know what the coach O teams would have done. They would have rolled over and quit yep. as we saw it over no and doubt. over again. And, you know, you can make fun of the accent. You can make fun of the stuff about Brian Kelly, but when it matters and it's time to win football games, he has been a coach who has beaten the odds over and over again. So to your point, it's through one year. I, bro, after that FSU game, if you had told me we would go three and three in those games, mm-hmm. I would have been like, you know what? That's better than where we're sitting right now. So, yeah, I'm I'm thrilled, man. 39 scholarship players in that bowl game. 10 players yeah. they lost to the NFL draft after consecutive years without winning seasons. The two worst LSU seasons of the 21st century. And here they are. Five and two looking like a team that is at least going to be playing meaningful football in November. And we'll see if that includes a New Year's Six Bowl at season's end. Probably not just because they're not going to be favored to win that game against Alabama. It's still the SEC West, and they could be in for an 8-4 and four regular season with a chance to win a ninth game in the postseason. But mm-hmm. given what it could have been, I, I still think that is a, a whale of a job. And Brian Kelly is still one of those coaches that, in my opinion, has a path to SEC Coach of the Year, and it's not necessarily locked up by Josh Heupel, although it looks pretty likely at this point. Yeah. Okay. No, a hundred percent. Real, real quick, one more thing on Jaden Daniels: the fact that we have completely changed from Mike Denbrock being a guy that we all wanted to just throw into like Pontchartrain to being a guy that is out schemed <laughs> these two offensive geniuses. And again, that, I'm not saying that sarcastically. Whenever Lane got up on us, I was like, "Uh oh, we have Mike Denbrock. They have Lane this is a problem." Luckily, like I said, the Florida game, they were up enough scores to where I never really had that fear. But this is a guy that, again, three weeks ago, the Tennessee game, we were thinking we don't even we schematically can never win with this guy. And and to see that the way they've adjusted and said we need to design runs for Jaden. He's not Desmond Ritter. I think figuring out that he's not Desmond Ritter yes. for this offense has been massive, and allowing him to do what he did as a runner and a passer. Um, and we'll, we have plenty of time to talk about the Alabama game, but that hopefully is going to be a matchup of two great quarterbacks, which is everything you hope for as an LSU fan. Because how many times have we said that about that game? About two, yeah, <laughs> basically, maybe a Mittenberger year. <laughs> yeah, basically, that, that's been pretty much it. Uh, but yes, that game suddenly feels a lot more interesting, a lot more intriguing. Speaking of Bama, bounce back game, roll past Mississippi State, uh, a game that felt like it was pretty obvious to see the uh, the the bounce back game. Um, Will, you're signaling to me something, and I have no idea what you're signaling to me. 
Do I sound okay? Oh, you sound great. Yeah. No, you sound great. Why? What's up? Okay. No, I was just my Wi-Fi is a little bit spotty, so I didn't want it. Oh, you're good. Coming through. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, you're good. Cut this out. I just wanted to make sure we weren't like losing reps. Okay. Cool. No, you're good. You're good. Um, Bama bounces back in this game, and it wasn't necessarily a a surprise because we talked about the history. Bama's not going to lose consecutive games. Um, Seeing them in a dogfight against a team that they've had so much success against in recent memory would have been just really, really wild. But uh, maybe there's a teeny tiny bit of concern if you want to nitpick here that Bama didn't score a second half touchdown. But I I think they were trying to, as Saban said afterwards, take the air out of the ball a little bit. Weren't really taking Mm -hmm. as many chances. Bryce Young throwing that football away a lot. Didn't want to necessarily um, subject himself to some unnecessary risk with the shoulder. Here's something. That was Mike Leach's third matchup against Alabama. Mm -hmm. It took him 180 minutes to lead his offense to a touchdown. Final minute of that game. It's the only touchdown mm-hmm. that, that, that he has scored against Alabama. The air raid, as it currently exists in this, this, this scheme that Mike Leach has, which we talked about the running game adjustments and, and is that all just being done so that they can have a chance against Alabama, you still see it on, on display here. I don't think that that scheme is ever going to score enough points against an Alabama or a Georgia with the way that it is currently constructed. And mm-hmm. both of those teams, the way that they are currently built at the peak of their powers. And if you don't believe me, tell me what's going to change here. Because Mississippi State has the all-time SEC leader in completions with several experienced skill players in that scheme. Mississippi State had the majority of its offensive line back. And remember, that's a year after last year when they had Charles Cross, who's, I'm just going to go out and say it. I think Charles Cross is going to be the highest drafted Offensive lineman for Mike Leach at Mississippi State. I think we can say that. Okay. And he's, yeah, ends up being this great pass protector. None of that has mattered against Bama. None of that. And Tennessee can beat Bama because it can attack downfield and it can go over the top. It is just built differently. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mississippi State is going to try and predicate itself on, on you falling back into coverage, being reactionary, you missing tackles in space. And Alabama is is wired to to be totally different. And they are, for the most part, for the vast majority of the time that Nick Saban has been there, they are the aggressors on defense. Alabama had 15 pass breakups. 15. Okay? They were everywhere. Yeah. The windows were not there. Will Rogers was sacked four times in this one. You thought that was going to be an issue. There was just no way that Will Rogers was going to keep pace with, with Bryce Young, who, again – did some things that just did not seem fair. And yeah. when he is at his best, man, it is just like, it's, it's surgical. And I end up just feeling bad for defensive linemen at the end of these plays. And you're just like, how do, I don't know how you stop that. I, I really don't. He is healthy. Holly Rowe outlined how intense his shoulder rehab continues to be. I mean, it's wild. Like listening to some of the stuff, they're like five to six hours and he's really going to be able to get after it during the bye week. And he's going to, he's, I mean, it was borderline Russell Wilson. Some of the stuff that they're talking about here (laughs) where I actually believe Bryce Young a little bit more than I believe Russell Wilson and his 30 hours a day that he's doing rehab and and film work. Um, But it's got the concussion water. Listen, it makes you, puts a force field around you. I've heard. It's a great point. People forget that if you don't have the concussion water, you're pretty much going to be concussed forever. That's, that's the way that it works. According to Russell Wilson, Bama saw life without him. And uh, we, we know that that's not pretty. So they're, they're not leaving any stone unturned. Okay. They're, they're doing whatever they can to make sure that his long-term health is good. Just because he's out there throwing these passes, 
they're not just like, oh, we're, we're just going to dial back your rehab. No, he is still actively rehabbing and trying to get that shoulder at 100%. But in the meantime, he looks very, very good. It felt obvious that Bamba was going to be able to bounce back in this one. You get a bye week. LSU coming up on the schedule, uh, of course, the way that the way that this plays out, uh, the way that it almost always plays out with Bama having a little bit of that extra time going into what's going to be a hostile atmosphere in Death Valley. College game day potential? Maybe? Maybe? Oh, I- man. This game gives me so many flashbacks. It's like it's one of those where it's like I, there's a way that this goes where I hope nobody watches it, and then there's a different way that this goes where I hope everybody watches it. And there's really no in-between, is there, Connor? I know. <laughs> yeah. It only Flip it on if it's close in the second half. That's it. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Otherwise, uh, I'll, we'll let you know if it's close. Um. <laughs> So we, we have to talk about the Jermaine Burton stuff. Um, yep. I want to say something without everyone telling me that I'm an idiot forever questioning something Nick Saban said or did. And mm-hmm. if you are an Alabama fan listening to this and you've already made up your mind that you're going to disagree with me, that's that's on you. That's fine. Tell me how you'd react if Urban Meyer said this stuff. Tell, tell me that. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the way that he handled this situation with the Jermaine Burton video. We really don't know going into this game, what Jermaine Burton's status is going to be after video surfaces of him, obviously hitting the girl on the field after the Tennessee field rush. And this video is everywhere, right? Like ESPN's Mm -hmm. writing about it. I mean, it was all over. If you were covering college sports, if you were covering any sort of content, you probably saw this video and watched it several different times. And so Saban released a statement earlier in the week and then saying that they're gathering more information. And then Saban in his post-game presser after this one explains why he's not suspended or kind of, sort of, not really. I have the full answer here of what Saban said, so I don't want to take anything necessarily just out of context or anything, but I'm going to, I'm going to read the answer for what he said when he was asked about the decision to play Jermaine Burton and not suspend him. So Saban said, I don't know how many of you have ever been in a situation like that, but I talked to him. He was scared. I was scared. Some of our other players were scared. I think you learn to respect people because if we have a responsibility, because we have a responsibility to do that, regardless of the circumstance we're in. I talked to the guy. We have him in a counseling program. It's not an anger management program as people announced today. Nobody ever said that. That's not the problem. That's not the issue. But it's about having the proper respect for other people. And um, I didn't think it was necessary to suspend the guy. So if you knew the whole story, maybe you wouldn't either. But I'm not going to divulge that. That sucks. That response sucks on a variety of fronts. And I'll admit, I have never been field stormed or court stormed on. I've been there for those moments, but I've never been there as a player when my team just lost. Okay. I'm admitting that. Mm -hmm. But I'll say this after watching that video a lot. Jermaine Burton is not acting out of fear in that moment. Maybe he had moments before that in which he was frightened to watch all of those people come down on the field. Maybe had mo- he had moments afterwards getting out of the stadium in which you're like, oh my God, how are we going to get out of Knoxville? This is a, a madhouse. Maybe our bus is shaking, stuff like that. Maybe, maybe he was scared in those moments. But smacking a girl the way that he did in that video that everybody has seen, even one that gets in your face and it looks like she was actually trying to get out of the way of him is not the reaction of a scared person. 
It's the reaction of someone who is in a bad mood, who was just dealing with a bad moment, and maybe somebody made that moment worse for them. But Jermaine Burton comes off like a guy who's acting like a sore loser in that moment. I'm not saying that I know exactly what was said by the girl in the video who was hit. Saban releasing a statement earlier in the week saying that they were gathering more information made you think that he was going to come to that press conference on Saturday and tell you exactly what had happened and why the decision was made to either suspend him or not suspend him. I don't know what the information was that Saban gathered, but he hinted at a full story and that we didn't know that in the public, but he didn't want to divulge into that. You know what? One of your players hit a woman and everyone saw it. Girl, woman, whatever you want to call her. It was on ESPN.com. It was everywhere. Okay. If you're going to play the, you don't know the full story card and pretends like, pretend like we are the ones overreacting, then tell us why. Did she spit on him? Tell us. Did she call him the N word? Tell us. You cannot default to, well, um, I talked to him and I got the full story. So I decided I'll just play him and try to get all of you on the defensive for asking me about that when we all saw the same thing. There's another part of this that to me just shows that Saban botched his message from a communication standpoint. On ESPN broadcast with Fowler and Herb Street, he said that Jermaine Burton was working with anger management counselors. Saban says afterwards, that's not true. Chris Fowler, pro of all pros is not just making up on national television that a college kid is getting anger management help. Alabama gave him that information. Okay. It was discussed. That's discussed in a production meeting, but Saban says afterwards that quote, nobody ever said that. So he's basically trying to say that Fowler twisted his, his or Alabama's words, which if he is doing that, if Fowler of all people is doing that, That just tells me that your message was not communicated properly from a PR standpoint, and you messed that up as well. That's where I think this was horribly mismanaged, because obviously what Burton did was not okay. And I don't care if you're wearing the biggest Bama blinder, goggles, whatever you want to call them, you can recognize in that moment that's not okay. And if your defense is, well, this is why you can't rush the field, that doesn't give every person that gets their field rushed on them a right to hit other people. That doesn't. Man, woman, child, doesn't matter, okay? And while I don't think Jermaine Burton is a bad kid, I think he did a bad thing. And Saban not suspending him and then saying that he has the full story and nobody else does, but he's not willing to divulge that is messed up because that's abuse of power 101. And I thought that sucked in every way. And I think that's ridiculous. If you are blindly defending Nick Saban, ask yourself that. Ask yourself if you'd be doing the same thing if Urban Meyer came out and said that. Okay. Because you wouldn't. And there's no way in hell you'd be doing that. And you could have suspended the kid. All you had to do, suspend him. Say, you know what? We don't tolerate that. Suspend him. We're going to get him in counseling. We're going to be able to figure this thing out. He made a mistake in the heat of the moment. Shouldn't have happened. Regrettable regrettable mistake. We move on. Boom. That's how you handle that. Instead, I thought I thought that was a, a bad response. And I'm going to have Bama fans in my mentions saying, you know what the hell you're talking about. Outkick reached out to her and she said no comment. She might be saying no comment because she might have litigation that she's dealing with. That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. It got me fired up and I've been thinking about it for the last 12 hours since I've seen that video. So sorry to kind of go off. I am usually the person that tries to be level-headed and see all sides to this. And, I, and I'm trying, but I just, 
thought that was a, a swing and a miss from Nick Saban. Yeah, I think, um, you know, me and you have lots of differences. And I think one of the things that brings us together is a lot of people would um, call us both really competitive people. But that being said, there's a big difference between our level of competitive and someone like Nick Saban's level of competitive. And so I don't want people to say, oh, well, you guys don't know what it's like. Da, 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 da. I understand that these guys are in unique positions. To your point, we've never been a losing SEC team and have a field stormed on us. We will never be in that situation. And so I get it that these guys are dealing with lots of stresses that your average person um, doesn't. You know, but I think that that also plays into that we we ex- we put these people up on these big standards, and in these moments, we hope that they live up to them. Um, I think to your point, it's fair to say Saban missed that by a little bit, and something that he's done, I think, well over his career, um, is he's balanced, you know, being hyper competitive and being that guy that will win at all costs, with also being a guy who is the king of second chances. Um, we've seen it with these coaches. We've seen it. You know, he had that yep. great speech about. Um, I believe it was Mark Ingram Sr. He had a speech about one of his former players. I, I don't know who it was, but he was talking about how, you know, giving this kid a second chance changed his life, changed his future. And I, I understand that. And as a, as a football coach, you sometimes, you know, you, you're a de facto father figure to these kids. And sometimes you got to think about these kids as your children. And I think that I understand that that can be really pressure filled. At the same time, you know, I, I think that to your point, there's a level of um, assumed respect when it comes to the guy like Nick Saban, that no matter what he does, it's the correct action. Um, and I think that in this situation, he had an opportunity to show um, the world. And I'm not being, you know, hyperbolic with that. He's the biggest name and one of the biggest names in college football history. Obviously, I, I think he's the greatest coach in college, maybe football history. I mean, if you think about how he's turned these rosters over, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Nick Saban, despite all the jokes I make about him. He, you know, he's LSU first. We have a little bit of fun with it, but I, I respect him a lot. And, I think that to your point, these are the moments when you have the hard lessons, not in, you know, it's not about losing a game and putting out a hype video and saying, okay, well, this is how we get over our loss. It's when you lose a game, these guys aren't used to losing. All these Bama players get to the NFL with four career losses and they have a little bit of an adjustment period. It's not about how you respond and beat Mississippi State after a loss. It's how you teach these kids in the rare moments where they have to deal with adversity externally because their practices are hard. You know, even getting on the field of Alabama has put you through a path that uh, we couldn't even understand. But in those moments where you, you know, where that type of stuff happens, you have a moment to say to your point, you know, there's, there's all these points about, you know, domestic violence and how, you know, gender roles and how this can be a big problem is a big problem in America. And you could just kind of speak out of it and say, generally, you know, not say anything about the kid, but just say, that's something we take seriously here at Alabama. And to your point, I think that was pretty disappointing. I don't think it says anything about Saban necessarily, like big picture. I think he's just a guy that was looking out for a kid, but it's disappointing by a lot. Nonetheless, it was. And look, I think if you're coming into the saying, Oh, Connor, you have a narrative. Will you have a narrative? I try and call like I see it. I do. I'll praise Nick Saban when I think he makes a great move. I'll criticize him when I think he makes a bad move. I think he lacked awareness in this spot. And Mm -hmm. I think his defense was weak. I really do. And you, you remember, oh, wait a minute. Jermaine Burton has never been on a college campus for a loss up until that moment because, or at least he had never been on a college campus that had a real crowd because his last loss in a regular season game came two years ago when he was at Georgia, when he was a true freshman there. And mm-hmm. that's with, you know, COVID crowds and all that stuff. 
And to have that in that moment where, and everybody saw it and it doesn't make a difference if he's your number one receiver, if he's your number three or if a number four receiver, it doesn't make a difference. It shouldn't. And I thought he used special treatment and I thought it was a really weak defense. And if it comes out, Hey, this girl said this, this girl said this, it still doesn't excuse what he did in that moment. It just doesn't. And to me like, all right, well then she should face punishment too. But the fact that it was handled internally and you guys don't know the full story and miss me with that, miss me with that. I think he needs to be better. And I thought that was a, a, a pretty rare lapse on his part. All right. We have other stuff to talk about. Other stuff to talk about. Let's talk about AM in South Carolina. Wait, um, hold on. Can I talk about the Bama game real quick? Sorry. I know we can go right into you that. waited like a full um, 10 seconds after. Go ahead. Well, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I just wanted to say this is, uh, you know, we, this is a game that we kind of saw coming. Uh, and I will, I will credit, you know, Nick Saban's team. I think they slipped up to the second half to your point, but they didn't really need it. Um, I think, you know, credit Leach for going for it early. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, you know, to your point, I think this is just not an offense that can win it against Saban. And hey, give credit where credit's due. Eli Ricks played, played a heck of a game. Um, yeah. So, yeah, to your point, you get 60 pass attempts if you're Will Rogers. That's not going to beat Nick Saban. And so I think, uh, yeah, I think these programs are exactly what we thought they were. Yeah, I, I think right now. And again, I, I don't think that losing the way that Mississippi State did means that they're suddenly a bad football team or anything. This is a really bad matchup and better days will be ahead. I know we said the same thing last week after Kentucky, but I do believe that better days are ahead for Mississippi State. and They're going to be a dangerous team to play down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Nina, South Carolina. For the first time ever, South Carolina takes down AM. And I probably shouldn't say take down because AM is now three and four. The Aggies <laughs> have been held to 24 points or less in each of their last eight games against Power Five competition. Yeah, man, that's real. Um, but great notch under Shane Beamer's belt finally ends the eight year skid against the Aggies. I mean, permanent skid, not really an eight year skid, I guess. Perpetual Couple- skid. They're now one and no. Yes, yes, they are one and zero. If if they had lost this game, that would have been kind of one of those. Oh man, maybe they maybe this is like a real thing, and they're just kind of never going to get over the hump against AM. and um, mm-hmm. A couple of interesting stats that I dug up here. That was Beamer's fifth time winning as an outright underdog so far through twenty games at South Carolina. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Gamecocks are six and two in games decided by ten points or less under Beamer. So. Why is that the case? Because I think for the vast majority of these uh, two years so far with Beamer, the outside, the the offense outside of Marshawn Lloyd is uh, it's it's maddening with Marcus Satterfield. It really is because he keeps insisting on passing so much and no looks for Jaheim Bell. And the defense has had its moments, but it's not. It hasn't been a world beater defense in these first two years under Beamer. So why does why are they so good in these close games? Beamer ball. I mean, it's cliche, but but it is. You return the opening kickoff for a touchdown, a huge lift from Xavier Leggett, a guy that has just been kind of cast off in terms of who he's been as a receiver. He had the two interceptions mm-hmm. that he was responsible for in that game against South Carolina State. They pick off Haynes King. They recover. You know, they have they have the fumble and like boom. You look up and you're like, wait a minute, it's seventeen to nothing. Five minutes into this game. Just yep. punch right in the mouth. And that crowd just fed off of that. I mean, that crowd looked really, really good. And the fact that AM was put in that spot, I mean, every Aggie fan knows, oh crap, this team is not built to come back from a three-score deficit. To their credit, mm-hmm. they actually did, I think, some things pretty well. 
But Jimbo's stubbornness in a nutshell is this. Haynes King is limping in warmups. This is coming off of a bye week, right? He's still out there instead of Connor Wigman. Mm-hmm. King gets hurt late in this game, and then Jimbo had no choice but to finally give Connor Wigman his first career snaps. And it looked pretty similar to Haynes King because why wouldn't it? It's the offense. But if we know that Connor Wigman is the future, which five-star true freshman Jimbo has praised him more than any quarterback recruit that I've seen. And that probably even includes Jameis. I mean, you look at some of the things mm-hmm. that he said about him right around signing day and you're like, whoa, Jimbo is fully all in on this guy. Like, Hold on. I will say Coker. The way that man praised Coker back in the day at FSU was mind-blowing. Remember he tried to sell us on Coker whenever he transferred? He was like, he was better than Jameis in practice. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, guy won a national championship. Jimbo knew what he was Fair. talking about. Yeah. Point Jimbo. Fair. That's that's another point in the Jimbo knows quarterbacks evaluation uh, chart diagram. However, you want to whatever you want to call that. So, mm-hmm. the frustrating thing watching this game is like Haynes King is limited. Okay, he is. He definitely is. Why doesn't Wigman get a chance to start this when you've got two weeks to prepare? And mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's a favorable matchup because the South Carolina defense does look improved. Tonka Hemingway is not just an all-name guy. He could be an all-SEC guy. This mm-hmm. is still a situation where you're like, all right, this is what you would want for a true freshman to be able to prepare for this kind of matchup. And instead, he has to kind of come in late. You're trailing. He's put in some tough spots. And, uh, and it's just other little things like AM doesn't go with the silent count on the road. You saw them have the fumble interception, whatever that, that gets called early on in the first quarter where, where there's the miscommunication where Haynes King's going up to the line and they snap it anyways. They had eight pre-snap penalties in this game. Mm-hmm. Maybe a silent count would have helped. Maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. I mean, goodness. Like I, I've already said a million times that Jimbo needs to fire himself as a play caller at the end of the season. So I'll instead ask this. Are we sure AM's going to a bowl game? Because they need three wins out of these five. Home against Ole Miss, home against Florida, at Auburn, home against UMass, home against LSU. Got to go three and oh, two there. Wow. They're beating UMass. Okay. UMass, UMass is sorry. All right. We'll, we'll give them that. Mm-hmm. UMass and App State. Right. But they, they would essentially have to split those four SEC games. Can they Man, do that? Auburn AM is going to be sickos tier one, isn't it? Oh, God. That game's at Jordan Hare. I mean, I would assume at this point Brian Harson is still going to be the head coach, but who knows what they're going to be going through and dealing with. What we do know is that for the ninth time in the last 10 seasons after Johnny Manziel won the Heisman Trophy in 2012, AM has at least four losses. That's mm-hmm. that ain't that ain't cutting it. It's not. Um, I think both both fan bases in this game, along with Mizzou fans, along with Auburn fans, they want a new offensive play caller because Marcus Satterfield, I know he, he's able to, to do some things well down the stretch. He finally decides that Marshawn Lloyd is the human being that should have the football. Um, they win Crazy. this game. Crazy thought, some would say. Yeah, wow. So, who could have who could have thunk that, that premise, right? <laughs> that the guy like that... Marshawn Lloyd, good at football. Wow. How about Josh Vannett showing up? Actually, Josh Vannett, like, yeah. pivotal catches. He's been, man, he, the guy has been invisible in the first part of the year. Um, 
you can tell Shane Beamer is losing his confidence in Marcus Satterfield. And if you're worried as a Gamecock fan that a win here perhaps is going to keep Marcus Satterfield around a little bit longer, I don't know about that. Beamer said afterwards, he told Satterfield in the middle of the third quarter, get the ball to our best players. <laughs> Simple as that, right? <laughs> uh, halftime of this game, Marshawn Lloyd had three carries while Spencer Rattler had attempted 16 passes, none of which were attempted for Jaheim Bell. Jaheim Bell can't mm-hmm. get the ball unless he gets it handed off to him, which I, I, I don't get that. And I get it. you got Stogner and, and you've got Juice Wells. You've got these other pieces that you want to fit in. I just don't get that. Marshawn Lloyd was excellent down the stretch in this game. He is quickly becoming one of those. I hope he stays another year guys. He is just mm-hmm. special, but man, the South Carolina offense whew, wolf has not been great at all. Will take away. Well, Hey, the plus side on that is that pretty much Spencer Rattler. I feel like you're getting him for next year at this point. You know, that's, that's interesting because He's going to have some people that are going to tell him, oh, like the arm talent, you need to just go to the NFL (laughs) now. You see the throw that he made off his opposite foot that went, I think, 60 yards to like the middle of the end. I can't remember who he was targeting, if that was Juice Wells or not. Um, And they just hit the dude in the face. It was like one of those throws that was so surprisingly good. The receiver was like trying to wait for it to be bad. It was so good. He was like, ah, that was like. And nobody's going to make this comparison, but remember when Michael Vick used to throw off of his wrong foot and just sail it 60 yards on the move, like no big deal. That was one of those where I was like, oh my God, how is this ball still going in the air? It's mesmerizing. It's incredible to watch, but obviously he still has his issues. And I thought Jordan, Jordan did a really good job of kind of breaking down the frustration that he has watching him and it's still the same stuff. It's still drifting when you don't need to drift. It's still mm-hmm. the mechanical issues where you're just like, he doesn't even know where to look at, at certain moments going through his progressions when he should look down and sense pressure. I mean, he had that one time where he just gets Fidel Diggs, by the way, that guy is just force fumble machine on quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Go ask Jalen Milrow about that, but he could be back another year. He needs to be back another year. And I don't know if that means another, like he's back with a new coordinator or what, because he's actually in a pro style system. So from that standpoint, if you could execute those concepts, that would benefit you. But eh, it it's not there with him. It's not lining up. It definitely isn't. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting because like we talked about South Carolina being the underdog in all these games. Um, and you know, there was that moment, obviously, where that reporter asked that question that we made fun of over and over again about like, you see, you see any quit in this locker room, which is like, doesn't even make sense as an English sentence. And Beamer was like kind of mad about it as he should have been. This is after the Georgia game, of course, where they had a pretty poor performance against Georgia. And, you know, so we talked about it in the preseason about how they were going to be underdogs in all these games. Um, obviously after that game is how are they going to respond? And the thing that's crazy for South Carolina is that they, the, the thing that you would think they would be able to lean on would be Spencer Rattler this year. And that has not really been there in the way that they hoped, but the record has been. So they found a way, um, you know, through Stogner and all these guys kind of spreading the football around. And, you know, we talked about it with Mason Taylor. Didn't give him enough credit today. Mason Taylor breakout game. The LSU two tight ends. But whenever you, we've seen it, whenever the, the, the quarterback has their safety blanket and that's the only guy they trust, that means the offensive coordinator is flat not doing their job. Unless that guy is you know, some elite receiver that is just a target machine. Love Stogner, but if he's every game leading receiver, it's probably not what you want. So point being, 
you know, Beamer is such an interesting guy because he feels at the same time like he's a coach's son that we've kind of known forever. And you see the Beamer ball thing and you see how they, you know, score this hundred yard touch uh, touchdown on special teams. And you see how, you know, because I listened to his dad, Frank, explain what that is. And at Hoover High, we called it we fans, right? It's anybody <laughs> can score. It's actually Niblet at Hoover was a was a believer in that too. Any play is designed to score. And so that was one thing that Frank obviously taught Shane as far as every player every play is a chance to score and you saw that in a game where you know they their offense couldn't really get going but they found a way to get these turnovers on defense found a way to get a special teams play and that was enough so on one level you see elements of his dad and you're you're watching this guy grow up before your eyes and you're like this guy makes sense here on the other hand sometimes he acts like a guy who won a sweepstakes to coach south carolina and it is the most heartwarming thing in the world like his (laughs) post-game interview was just like Look at all this, man. It's like it's like we're experiencing this for the first time. It's like you're on a GoPro on his head, and you're also the South Carolina head coach. It's like all these people showed up to watch us play, and they helped us win, and I'm so thankful. And it's like most of the time you get the coach's sons, and I hate to say it, Lane Kiffin, great example. They start to be a little bit too arrogant because they're like, oh, I was reading cover too, and I was in diapers. Don't worry about it. This guy is not that way. He is the most humble, root forable guy. It's certainly not a word, but you watch him talk and you're just like, I want to believe in this team and especially against guys. And listen, we love Stoops. We love Stoops more than most podcasts we've had on numerous times. We love Stoops in Kentucky. But when you have these kind of older guys that get bothered by the way that Beamer does things like Stoops and Jimbo, and he comes out there and he's, you know, dancing after the game and he's blown away. It's like, hey, South Carolina is a guy that or South Carolina is a place that has always been underrated for recruits, I think. Um, they've had the big guys like Clowney and everything. But if you look and see the guys that South Carolina has put in the NFL and you look at where, you know, where they've kind of gotten those guys, it is a hidden talent bed and one that Clemson has been taking care of for a while. Um, and you think, gosh, I mean, I, I hate to saying this out loud makes me want to lie. like if I heard someone say this, I'd be like, what are you, are you kidding? But it's like right now, does it sound more fun to play for Dabo or Beamer? in that state because it's pretty easily beamer i feel it's uh, that it's a little bit difficult and obviously the the, the day that clemson had um wherein they were in a dogfight against syracuse once again the, the context of that of course is going to skew things a little bit you see dabo switch from from dj Uyungle to kate uh to kate klubnik but i think that question is as a whole, that's too difficult of a question to answer because I could give you a variety of reasons of why going to Clemson and playing for a national championship and potentially 100%. being on that defensive line would be more beneficial to my career if I'm a recruit as opposed to playing for a coach who obviously you know, people are buying into. And that's the good thing. And mm-hmm. Beamer, to his credit, is self-aware to realize how special it is when a place like that is acknowledging and appreciating Mm -hmm. who you are and what you're trying to build. It won't always be like that. I hate Mm -hmm. to say it, but this is the SEC. It will not always be like that. And look, we like Beamer. We've had him on multiple times. I don't think he's for everybody. I think he's going to get a little bit of the PJ Fleck edit down the road. (laughs) I do. I really do. At least among the coaching fraternity. I'm not saying among all all fans, but there will be people who kind of question – uh, his energy and question what he is moving forward. And South Carolina fans won't be those people. I'm not necessarily saying that, but where this gets interesting for good vibes, guys like Beamer and like Pittman is what do you do when your fan base is clearly frustrated with your coordinator and you are loyal and you have gone to bat for your coordinator and said multiple times that they are kind of who you're riding with. So what does Beamer mm-hmm. do with Marcus Satterfield? What does Pittman do with Barry Odom is a really interesting December question. It is. Yeah. 
because I think both are heading in the direction of being without a job. I do. Despite mm-hmm. what we've seen from them recently, I think that they could be heading in that direction. That's what's going to really test these coaches, and it's what's going to test Beamer. But great win nonetheless. You beat a team mm-hmm. that, look, hadn't been able to beat before. Another feather in the cap. Will Muschamp couldn't do it. You did it, Shane. And you're moving on. And yeah. an eight-win season all of a sudden feels very realistic. That would be the next step for this program. Yeah, it's funny, man. We talked about uh, South Carolina fighting for bowl eligibility, and they're here. They're five and two. You know, you look at their schedule coming up. They have a lot of winnable games, man. They do. They have Mizzou, Vandy, Florida. I think will be a good game. I'm not ready to call that a South Carolina win, but I feel like from what we've seen from Mizzou and Vandy today, (laughs) yesterday, that those those feel pretty winnable for South Carolina. So we're talking about a team that could potentially be getting some votes going into either the Florida game or the Tennessee game towards the end of the year, cruising through bowl eligibility because already at five wins now. We're on the other end to your point you have this AM team that we both vehemently were pounding the table like nebraska boosters saying this is not the number six team in the country what are you people seeing yeah. i don't get how this team could ever finish even second in the west we said it in the preseason i'm not trying to be mean it's just here's what we saw you know we saw a team that couldn't pick the right quarterback when it mattered now they don't have any healthy quarterbacks and they're already going to probably burn this kid's red shirt as it is you know so it's like hey you know this is uh it's it's hard to make excuses for Jimbo at this point. And and I don't feel bad kind of dumping on them because they have all these resources. So it's like, you guys got to figure this out. And I was waiting to see the Iowa note, notebook today because, boy, is this an Iowa notebook game. For those of y'all that don't get that joke, Cotter has a little Iowa notebook that he has had all the coaching buyouts scrambled on. And you know those, those A&M guys were sitting there. There was probably a Zoom call this morning, probably early. Everybody had some coffee, and they were just like, how do we how do we get out of this buyout, guys? Man, it's, uh, I, I don't think it happens. But, um, yeah, it probably doesn't help that Jimbo is on the sideline with his coaching staff rocking these Times New Roman sweatshirts. I don't know <laughs> what that gear was. I, I don't know what, like, I, Peter Murren said it best. It looked like that those sweatshirts were bought at the gas station. With that bad look the opposite of a mike leach state yeah. block letters because that one's swaggy the fact that you've become a times new roman hater is a good example of our friendship because i'm the same way <laughs> yeah i don't type in times new roman and i don't necessarily want to see it on my athletic apparel just don't but yeah look good play good Mm-mm. and i may do doing either right now it's ugly right okay the game of the week vandy and mizzou <sighs> yeah. oh, boy. um woof just woof 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 that applies to everyone not named Anthony Orgy and Luther Burden. Even our guy Mevis could make a chip shot kick. And I get it. It was really windy. The, the wind kind of took that kick, sailed it right. Um, Mizzou won. Got its first win against Power 5 team this year. But didn't score a second half point against Vandy. Luther Burden gets all these first half touches. He scored both of their touchdowns, which came on exactly the types of looks that Mizzou fans have been clamoring for. But he doesn't get a touch in the second half, and Mizzou doesn't score a point. And Drink says afterwards, well, they scheme looks for him, but they just didn't go to him. Hmm. Okay. So no wildcat package. Didn't get a it's not like you're going through your progressions to dial up a pop pass for someone either. So I don't really know where exactly he's coming with that one. But nonetheless, that's what Drink said. Um, We're just idiots who don't know anything about football and can't see that Luther Burden is clearly making an impact on the game. And we've assessed the risk of throwing him targets, of force feeding him targets. But there are still other ways to get him targets that aren't necessarily slants over the middle in which timing is so important. We've talked about this. Brady Mm -hmm. Cook just ain't it. He's not. If you can't go off against Vandy, a.k.a. the team who allowed more passing yards per game than than everyone except Ohio, it's not going to happen. It's not. Mm-hmm. Vandy got back in this game because 
I mean, Brady Cook is sitting there deep in his own territory, and he didn't process that one dude hurdled the protection, and then he had Anthony Orji coming right at him on his right side. And that clock, that internal clock, just was not there. And Mizzou has to hold on for dear life in this one. The fourth down run in Mizzou territory that Vandy had at the end of the game, down three, looked like a first down to me. Not sure how it wasn't. I mean... I, that, that to me was another one of these plays where I'm like, how, how do we not have a good angle of, of this right right now? SEC uh, officials, we try to be nice to them, man, but there were so few games and yet they messed up uh, enough for enough games, really. A full uh, slate of games with mirrors. Just terrible. I mean, if they pick up a first down there, Mizzou's defense is pretty much being asked to prevent a disaster. And Mizzou's defense played well enough, although they had the bust on the 80-yard play that you know shouldn't have been a touchdown, but Mizzou – just couldn't tackle in space all of a sudden really bad look overall Mizzou's offense though is is really kind of what's so unbelievably disappointing it is as bad as those uniforms that they wore and I love the helmets but I hate the yellow jerseys and it's yellow and if you tell me it's gold then tell me what color color Notre Dame has tell me what color Vandy has because that's gold what you're wearing is not gold I need people to know that I have Iowa fans Listen, all the time but like, we leave the yellow that is called gold alone on this podcast for obvious reasons I don't want to, I don't want to hear I don't want to hear this is black and gold. No, no, no. You know, you know what 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 the Steelers say? They say black and yellow, black and yellow. All right. Yeah. You you are black and yellow. Okay. Just accept that. Um, anyway, that's separate rant for a different time. Drink avoided the uh you need to fire me game, but he continues to add all the fuel to the fire, which is burning a mile high, that he needs an offensive play caller at the end of the season. And oh, yeah. Very, very obvious. Poor Vandy, by the way. They've got Clark Lee and Vandy fans, by the way, not Vandy, like the coaching staff. They've got Clark right. Lee may. I think he's definitely using a two quarterback system, even though he said so. AJ Swan gets taken out of this game, the true freshman, after he was very mm-hmm. ineffective. Lee says afterwards that it was an injury, but he couldn't discuss any specifics at all. And you're <laughs> just like, OK, all I, right. we might as well just put one of those top secret, like classified stamps on any quarterback information in the SEC because we'll just never get it bizarre you win a game in this decade and then you know you can pretend like you actually have secrets to withhold okay that's that's my stance on that but even mm-hmm. when vandy gets a quarterback that they're kind of excited about which aj swan was in the last two weeks obviously he didn't look good and he was very ineffective in this game they've got a coach that's continuing to go back and forth and that would worry me long term think about this vandy's last sec win october 19th 2019 against mizzou mm-hmm. more than three years ago more than three years ago. We're past that now. When's their next SEC win coming? I looked this up. Mm-hmm. Rest of the season, home against South Carolina. Eh, probably not. Probably At not. Kentucky. Mm, unless Will Levis is out. Eh. I was about to say, is Will Levis healthy is the question there. Because yeah, they could he, lose anybody without Will Levis. True. Home against Florida. Mm. Home against Tennessee, no. Florida is the only team in there with a losing record in SEC play. So mm-hmm. I had to look to next year's schedule, of course. Of course. Mizzou does come early. That game is in September. That's the good news. Okay. They also get Auburn at home in the crossover. But that's not until November. And mm-hmm. who knows where Auburn's going to be at. I mean, even Auburn at its lowest of lows, one would think could probably still be Fandy, I think. Mm-hmm. So basically what I'm saying is it's looking like we're going to go four years between SEC wins for Vandy. That's pretty bad. 
That's a long, that's yeah. a presidential term right there. Yeah. For a conference win. Yeah, and it's just one. Over two coaches, too. Yeah, that's the tough part is you can't even really, you could argue that Clark Lee has done a pretty good job and they're still here. Uh, I don't know. Some of the quarterback stuff, you're just like, uh, I, I don't. I but worry think about, about where they were. I know, but still, like, he changed his offensive play caller after the first game he, he coached at Vandy last year. Like, he, he changed to Joey Lynch. <laughs> and you're just, oh, okay. All right. I guess that's the thing. It, the the decision to take out Mike Wright when he did after he got off to a really good start and then he has like one bad half he's like you're out mm-hmm. like, you're Vandy you're you're not competing for an SEC title like what what are, what are we doing here I just I think they let kind the of lack figure vision. it out yeah let the kid figure it real out real quick speaking of Mike Wright they had the the most Vandy into that game ever too because if you notice like they obviously like you said to go out Swan put in right they had to your point about that play they had Mizzou on like, you know, fourth and very short, right? They had a play called and they did a couple of the fake like cadences to get Mizzou offsides. And they did. They got them oh, offside. And, yes, and instead of and instead of snapping the ball, yep. Mike Wright looked at the sideline and it's like, brother, what are you waiting for here, man? Like sometimes they'll bail you out if it's like encroachment, but it wasn't that bad. Like it was like one of those you got to snap the ball for. It's like my brother, you could have simply snapped the ball and gotten the free first down there, assuming the FCC refs were looking, which again today or yesterday, hard to assume. You but you when you see that guy, right? Like it's like you literally got out there with the sole purpose of drawing them off sides. You drew them off sides and then just looked at your coach like, what do I do now? Don't know what the second step is. It's like we talked about with, with, with last with uh two weeks ago with, with Jane Daniels not throwing into one on one coverage. And Brian Kelly's like, You had one on one coverage. This is what we drew. Don't up. look at me, you know what to do. I told oh. you what to do. Maddening. Poor Vandy. Hug a Vandy fan if you know one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be a long time without SEC wins. And Mizzou, I don't think Mizzou fans are feeling any better. Although that defense definitely deserves better because they actually look like they give a crap. And even though they had a bad tackling play, um, still feel like they're going to kind of keep them in games somewhat. Mizzou's only minus 11 in SEC play this year, which is kind of wild to think about how sorry they've looked at times. But yeah, yikes. Okay, let's uh, let's get to Patrick Willis. We recorded this before old miss lsu so keep that in mind but he was great watching his face light up talking about his all-time form tackle was just incredible great stuff from him so here is patrick wills now excited to be joined by a very special guest it is old miss legend san francisco 49ers great patrick willis patrick just announced the launch of universe 52 which is a private members only community where fans can interact with you Patrick Willis and other members online uh, and, uh, and unlock access to exclusive member perks patrick you're in the nft game Tell us about Universe 52 and why you wish NFTs were a thing when you were at Ole Miss, because obviously you would have just been rolling in the NIL money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm truly excited to be connected uh, with the times. You know, I always told myself that you know, I wanted to be a part of uh, the technological world and NFT is the space that, you know, it's got a little stick. It's have, it has some stigma to it, but I think it's here to stay in, um, in some kind of form. And so just to be having my own uh, platform, I'm really thrilled to um, to get it going. So you, you've been retired for, for seven years now, which is just wild to me. I, you just turned, at, at the time of your retirement, you had just turned 30. And I, I know you with the injury issues and all those different things, and, and you've talked about this before, but I, I'm sure there had to be this moment where you thought to yourself, all right, I'm, I'm good on money, but what's what's next in, in my life? And doing ventures like this, 
I'm sure is kind of one of those things where you're like, all right, well, what do I really want to get into? What do I want the next chapter of my life to look like? Why have you kind of settled on the things that you have? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've always just been intrigued with more. You know, I always felt like there was more to me than just playing football. And I also knew that one day football would, would end and life would continue to go on. And ever since I was a kid, I've always been into technology. And the more I got to learn about the NFT um, space, uh, the more I was kind of thrilled to be, uh, to, to get a part of it. And this, and what I love about Universe 52 is that it's not just uh, an NFT, you know, buy a piece of art and that's all you're getting. With this, with Universe 52, we're actually working working on now and um, having some great utilities where I am very much a part of this. Like you get to, you get to see me, you get, I get to bring it inside my world and not just bring it inside of my world that has led up to this and what's to come, but also get to get to know those loyal fans who who's been who's followed me throughout my journey and you know and still connected to me now. So again, this is so much more than just you know uh, uh, NFT. Um, it's, it's about the experience and all the things we're working on now to make it uh, make it amazing. So. Is that natural for you? Because uh, everybody that I've ever seen that's talked about, you said, you know, you're a private kind of to yourself type of guy. And I imagine kind of being, ex, ex, you know, you know, this coming out in this sort of way, is just a little bit different for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's one of those things where I tend to be, you know, I say uh, kind of grew up introverted, um, but learned, you know, through, you know, the journey of sports and being a team captain and, you know, uh, speaking at times on behalf of the team that, you know, that uh, learn how to be extrovert at the same time. But with this right here, it's one of those things that for a long time, you know, I can say I always felt like I was more than just, you know, making tackles on the field. And so this right here is just one of those parts of me where I get to bring out a little bit of the, you know, beyond the, you know, the hitting and tackling. But I get to kind of somehow merge it all together. And so that's what this is about now and um and I once had a friend to tell me she said you know you can do as much as you want to do you just have to ask yourself how vulnerable do you want to be and so you know I've you know I tend to be an open um somewhat of an open book and so just again just trying to bring others into my world and really just share them share with them the the, the journey um again I always say like how could I I want to be able to share what I've been through um, and how can I be able to do that? And I felt that technology would allow me to be able to be in more, more places, uh, being, being in more, being a lot more places at one time than I could if I was just going, you know, like, like the old times or whatnot. So yeah, trying to do it efficient. <laughs> yeah. A little bit different than just going to a press conference yeah. or media availability or something like that. Um, and it's, yeah. it's one of the cool things that we're seeing in, in today's day and age. You right now at age 37 look like you don't miss any days at the gym. I, I know that you ran, <laughs> so you ran four, three, eight at your pro day and mm -hmm. you did 22 reps on the bench. Where are you at on both of those right now? You know, actually, um, I, I, I couldn't tell you, Connor. I, I actually now these days are more more focused on functional movement. Uh, so just making sure that my functional modalities and things that I, when I first started and when I first got into training, like real training, when I went to API, getting ready for the draft, uh, you know, they bring you in, they do the assessment where they're like, all right, let's just see where you are right now. And I didn't realize, you know, I could run and do all the stuff I could do before, but I didn't realize just how stiff I was in in different areas. And I've now realized since I've, you know, not playing more and having to 
work on brute strength, that it's just as important to be functional and, and being able to, you know, get in and out of squats, you know, without having a whole lot of uh, weights or whatnot. So, uh, yeah, so nowadays I've just been focused on just, you know, good cardio. Cardio is number one always to make sure the heart's good, but then just trying to find different ways to keep uh, working our interest. I think that's fascinating. And, and the post football transformation that certain guys go to, and everybody always talks about all the offensive linemen who lose a ton of weight and stuff. And you look at the Jeff Saturdays of the world, but just for anybody that plays that sport and you're told this is how you're supposed to lift. And then post football, having this realization of, Oh, there are other things that I can do to kind of sustain the physique that I want. And you have clearly been able to figure those out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, man, you're speaking of linemen. I mean, shout out to, to Joe Staley and, uh, uh, Alex Boone, I mean, those guys, sometimes you, I look at them, I'm like, man, was I the linebacker or were you guys, you know, they, they look tremendously well. But one thing I have learned in this in this retirement, I say, you know, I retired from a job, but life still goes on. And so I always felt that, you know, I always, I was, I always wanted to be um, uh, efficient for life, you know, be um, strong for life. And so, you know, oftentimes it's not having, it's not the one who has the most muscles, but it's the one who can endure it. So I just like to have a little bit of both, you know, like they have a little bit of muscle and have a little bit of, uh, you know, better to have the wind as well. So, yeah, to try to that ultimate balance, I guess you call it. So I know you've got to be loving the the start that your alma mater is off to. We're, we're recording this before the LSU game. Uh, so this will be out uh, on Sunday in our recap pod. But I mean, seven and zero start, best for Ole Miss since 1962. How, how big of a Lane Kiffin fan have you become? You know, uh, <laughs> that's a great question. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Lane Kiffin, and um, I'll say that, you know, I don't know if it's just because it started with his pops. You know, I was when I was in uh, younger, you know, his, his dad was uh, the defensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and when I was coming out, that was the one team that I wanted to go play for because I understood that scheme. I understood that, you know, how they, yeah, I understood that scheme, and obviously they played fast, and, so I was a big fan of his dad, but to see, you know, what uh, Lane has came in at Ole Miss and, and done uh, is truly tremendous. So it would have been amazing to have those kind of – to win like that when I was there. I only had that one winning season my 2003 year with Eli. When Eli won the uh, – <clears throat> I guess the Cotton Bowl it was. And so to see – but to see Lane and see Lane and that, that coaching staff and what these guys are doing now and this year has been amazing because I was I was a little worried. I, I was like, man, they're not going to have a quarterback, you know, and a quarterback, you know, runs the ship. But Dart has came in and, uh, man, he's been tremendous. How are you consuming uh, Ole Miss football on a, on a typical Saturday? Because I know you, you can't go to the Grove. The Grove is not built for a place like for, – for a guy like you who – like you would just get – I mean, human beings <laughs> – like me, who are just five eight, can get mobbed in the Grove, but you you can't just be like hanging out at a place like that every Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, kind of, I've, I've been able to make it to a game uh, this year. Not, I'm 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 gonna try to. You know, I'm actually I haven't been able to make it to a game this year. Uh, better go through the Grove because um, the Grove is amazing. But I am, uh, ironically, I am uh, going to the LSU and Ole Miss game this weekend. Um, uh, just speaking of, I have a, uh, me, uh, Eric Reed, and I uh, collaborated on um, what we call the it's, – it's, it's a fit zone. So we call it the 5235 uh, fit zone. And it's something that's part of my nonprofit uh, foundation that's called the Winkers Mind Youth Fund Foundation that's 
aimed at building and transforming communities where the will is to rise. And so uh, we put in a, a fit zone down in his uh, uh, work near his hometown, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And so, yeah, so this will be my first time going to a game this year. So, you know, let's go Ole Miss, you know, going to be in the house, you know. Uh, so I'm excited to be ready to catch a game. Ole Miss should have you on the sideline every week, man, because <laughs> I would I would have that moment where I'd look over, I'd be like, oh, my God, wait, does Patrick Willis have any eligibility left? Like, he's out. Like, he's good. He can't just show up, right? Oh, man. I, I, it's, it's, it is amazing. When I'm not too close to the field, you know, I really doesn't, it doesn't draw me too strongly, you know, because um, I noticed I went to a Niners game and just being that close to it, I could feel the vibration. I could feel like the pulsation where it's like, man, you know, like what's that Kenny Chesney, not Kenny Chesney, but Toby Keith, I'm not as good as I once was, but yep. I'm as good once as I'll ever be. I'm like, man, you know what, just, just maybe then my toes and my body is like, ah, you know, just appreciate what you're seeing and, you know, root the guys on. And so that's where I am now. Yeah. Okay, you've been asked about this a lot, mm-hmm. but the LSU tackle in 05. Um, if you're listening to this and you somehow don't know what I'm talking about, maybe you're younger, you're young, younger listener, something like that. It's maybe the best form tackle in the history of the sport. And I'm, I'm not just gassing you up by saying this. I guarantee you that it's been shown in high school and college, you know, defensive rooms for ever basically since it happened give me how give me like the the backstory of how you kind of saw that play out and why you were able to just take over in that moment uh and that moment well first let me me say um two things being the middle linebacker being the captain no matter what happens on that field uh you don't point your fingers like you take you take it all um everything the good bad and different well, at the beginning of that year, uh, well, prior to years of that, um, Coach Bordron uh, asked me, he, he said, uh, he said, I want you to be the general of my of my defense. And when he said that to me, that was the first time that I felt like someone that gave me the reins. Uh, well, the first time in my college career that I felt like, wow, the reins are, he's, he's given, he's asked me and I'm having to step up and, you know, say, yeah. And so long story short, Coach Coach Ordron, he didn't play. Like he was, he didn't play. I right? just anything like anything off a little bit, he gonna let you know. And it was just one of the things I always held myself to, you know, high standard and and getting everyone lined up and and just getting us all in the right position to be successful. And on that particular play, uh, the the call came in. I could I could have swore that I called it a certain you know called the strength to where I thought. That, Called the strength to one side, but when I looked at the looked at the line, I looked at my alignment. I was like, "Screw my label!" But oh shit! And I knew that I and in, in the game, you know, you got to you got to make the guys right. And I knew based on where we was lined up, you know, I had to make the fit as if I was playing, you know, opposite that uh, playing hit position. And so, one thing I was learning was just man, just get low and and go help it for election. And um, it just so happened that. That maybe was a little bit of luck and and effort and just, but it it turned out to be as it was. But that was the that was a driving force. It was just like, oh shit, man, I got I got to make this right. They score, it's gonna be on me. I'm gonna come off this sideline. He was like, Patrick Beaver, what you doing? What's going on? And I was like, I don't want to hear it, man. <laughs> so yeah, so that's what it was. I just remember making that call and making the strength call and looking at the line was aligned another aligned away from it. And I was like, I got to make this right, or else it's gonna be on me. And there it was, and I just—I I still to this day they talk about it. Me and 
actually Justin Benson was the was the guy who was carrying the ball. Him and I, he was actually at the um, uh, I met him at the uh, saw him again first time in my own time at the College Football Hall of Fame last year and um, in Vegas. And he and I talked about it. We was there. We actually Glenn Dorsey was being endorsed and uh, um, being inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame last year. Shout out Glenn Dorsey. You know, I was a big fan of his at LSU and played with him at uh, played with him here. Uh, at, at San Francisco. So, uh, so yeah, so me and Justin talked about it. He's like, man, they still talk about it to this day. And I was like, man, that was one of the most, man, I, you know, it just like, sometimes, you know, you just, you just throw your hands up. Man, I wish I could say like, I just knew from the snap it was going to be perfect like that, but I was just trying to make what was wrong right. That was it, man. And someone was on my side. So <laughs> it's, it's hard to truly fathom like, because you think, okay, so why doesn't something like that happen more often? Why don't we see hits like that? We see big hits over the course of a game, but just the form tackle and the fact that there was elevation on it too. And then you had this little like somersault afterwards that's just <laughs> so perfect. That I do you had you ever done anything quite like that before? And, and after, obviously, you know, it's it, it's different to talk about big hits that you make over the course of the game where you were emotionally like you were on one afterwards and you're yeah. not usually the guy that gets up and is that fired up. So I got to imagine that hit still just stands alone for you in terms of the reaction, the buildup and everything that happened afterwards. Yeah, I mean, it, it was one of those kind of plays um, – you know, truthfully, I remember being in the sixth grade and watching NFL classic hits. And, you know, I thought if you watch it on TV and then you go out and you go play the game, that there was automatically going to happen for you like that. But they never did. And I was like, man, I just I don't get it. You know, and so I, I take it back to all that build up to, to moments like uh, another one that kind of comes back to mind was they kick off against Alabama uh, my freshman year. That was one of the things where I, I, I learned a long time ago. If you just, if your intent is one hundred percent in the in, in the in the motion, in the direction, in the in making the play, man, and, all, and you give it all, you give it all you got. Something good is going going to happen, and and that's that's what it was. Again, it was just all of it coming together, and you just feel it, and and I and, and just a little secret, though, man, I will lie to you. If, if when I was when I when I was dropping them down to the ground, it had been one of the things I love wrestling growing up. I love wrestling growing up. I love rugby uh, growing up one night. But wrestling was one of the things where you know it was like boom, and you feel them going up, and you all these oh you going you going down. You know that's kind of you get a flag and stuff. I think you know doing that in football or whatnot. But it was like one of the things where I'm like oh you I'm going. I think I've seen it in movies. Like, you know, it's like, oh, NFL greatest hits. And you're like, oh, I'm going, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to bury you through the ground. And when I went to do it, when I went to just bury him into the ground and just throw him into the ground, his his uh, his shin was in between my, my midsection. Oh. And so I, yeah, yeah. So so imagine if I just would have, so all of it happened. That's the thing about football. Everything be happening simultaneously. I mean, everything happened so fast, but just and so quick that you wouldn't even never notice it. But yeah, when I was dropping him down, I was going to just go and throw them into the ground like a dent into the ground, but I felt his, I felt his foot as I was going down in in, in my crotch like that, and, and so it was just one of those things where you, you know, you just you just go with the motion, like you go with the motion, and that's how it kind of, you know, I don't, again, and it just so happened that you know you get up and it was like, whoa, like, 
crazy for you. And you're like, man, I think I did something. <laughs> you did. You did. You definitely did. That <laughs> eye is second to none. It, I, yeah. So I was talking to uh, um, my guy, Jacob Hester, who was on the sidelines that day. And uh, he told me that y'all had your fair share of, uh, of battles over the years. He also said that you were the best defensive player that he ever played against. True story. Who was the best offensive player that you ever played against? And why was it Jacob Hester? Oh, man. Um, you know, it, <clears throat> Clint, the, the, the SEC as a whole to me, and maybe, you know, I'm the old cliche and things are not what they used to be because, you know, I had some new schools from other conferences, you know, I was, but, you know, it was a time when SEC, like SEC and this speed, power, agility, uh, uh, strength, like we had, it was like everything. You just felt like you went to the SEC, no matter who you were, like you had a candidate to barely go play in the NFL, like, because if you could play in that conference. And I remember going and playing against, you know, those different squads and LSU was one of those squads, but it wasn't so much about, you know, uh, the running backs and whatnot, it was the, the fullback because he was real, he's real sneaky or whatnot, where he could have played, he could have been a running back, but it worked out for him really well to play fullback because he was just enough, like, physical, but was – Shifty and could you know catch and I call he liked the the cow Usman uh, cow uh Uzcheck Uzcheck uh, the Uzcheck yeah 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 so um so yeah so just playing against him he was just a smart smart kid smart player and um and fit in really well with what they did offensively where you like man sometimes he's gonna come at you other times he's gonna slip you and might hit you with a screen and back then you know it was like I didn't take anybody. Like you just going straight, you <laughs> trying to run through them. So it, it was some great battles with me. It's baffling to think that you were so lightly recruited out of high school, uh, West Tennessee. You were a two-time All-State player. You were nominated to be Mr. Football as a, both a linebacker and as a running back, which had never happened before in Tennessee. I know you had a lot of moving pieces uh, with your family life, but did you ever find out why you were so lightly recruited coming out? Uh, you know what? To be honest with you, kind of, uh, and I'm, I'm going to be really frank. I wasn't, I, who I became, it was always inside of me. But what makes life amazing is going through the journey and seeing the, the elevation, seeing like the the, the growth. Um, because I wasn't, I, I wasn't what I had become. Like I, I saw myself each year get better and better and better. Because if I would just look to me early on, yeah, I, 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 you know what? I, I never, I always had the heart, the heart and the, and the will. But I, I, but I always had to work at it. Everything I become, I had to work at it, like to become, you know, a better pass rusher to get faster. You know, it was like, I mean, I could obviously I was able to be fast, but I had to work, work on it, man. Like after, after, after I remember after pro day, after I run my pro day, uh, I'm sorry, after combine, I remember I could have just, you know, tucked it in and been like, you know, whatever. <clears throat> I didn't. I went back and I continued to work even harder when I ended up running even even better times. But I still had to say sometimes predicated off, you know, where you go to school, like, you know, uh, 1A, 2A, 3A. I went to a 1A school and, you know, I heard people say, you know, like, no, yeah, but if he played 5A ball, you know, he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to do all of that, you know. And, and, and now that I understand the divisions, and ball, like, I, I understand, like, they're married, but you might better, you know, look at the size of you. You can't judge my – you couldn't judge my heart. And I felt like, man, you put me in with whomever, and I was going to find a way to not be denied and be a part of whatever's going on. And, and a lot of people don't understand. I didn't always just start out as, you know, the 
the, the number one defender. Like when I was in uh, high school, you know, I played special teams. And you know, I got to college in my first year, I had to play special teams. I thought we playing defense, so I had to go, you know, special teams. So I had the humble and the humble and road, uh, which I think has, you know, which I think helped fuel that fire um, as well. So to answer you, I know I probably answered the question of why I was recruited so lowly, but I think some of it had to do with just going to a smaller school and just realizing that, you know, I wasn't what I was, you know, um, and I wasn't what I had became, um, but that was the beauty in the sand, like, man, like just, you know, having a passion, uh, uh, having passion, uh, drive, uh, will, uh, some some amazing coaches that were like very you know tough as well um discipline you know shout out to my you know pops for that and just, i mean man, it, it just it's, it's a great it's, i call it a great alchemy bowl um i'm just uh i'm grateful grateful man so <laughs> and ogeron gets there two years after you were there and mm-hmm. i got to imagine you know middle of your college career you're trying to develop into this guy who uh, can become a, a face of a defense, and he comes in there. Did you ever have any thought of of leaving Ole Miss? And I realize the transfer portal is different then than it is now, but was there ever any thought of like, ah, you know what, this this might not be for me, but maybe he talked you into staying or anything like that, or were you still locked in on staying at Ole Miss? Yeah, oh, hell yeah, man. Excuse me, but yes, I was. I I've always come from the bread of the underdog. And so for me, I was like, man, this is an opportunity to find a way to, to make it happen. Um, um, and so each, and a lot of people don't understand, like each of my four years in college, I had a, I had a different position coach. Uh, all four years of college and with two head, uh, with two head coaches, uh, head coaching changes. And the same thing when I was in, in the pros when I, I had all those things or not. So, uh, so, but, but Orgeron coming in, uh, what he did and what really, what really was, man, what really hit me in the heart was when he said, uh, wow, I cannot believe this guy was not starting because I mean, my numbers, my sophomore year, but I, you know, I'm not the person that's, you know, they're going to all that. I just, when I get the opportunity, you just got to make them count. And then when the time comes, you just got to be ready and, you know, you step in and, and do what you had to do. But he came in and he said, uh, he said, man, I cannot believe this guy was not starting. He could have been starting for us at USC. Now, now he could he could just know how to recruit. I mean, he could just know how to you know get his players in, like you know, real easy and so. But I know that was a that was a thing to me where I was like, man, you know what? Like, I mean, we never know because I wasn't there, but I appreciate that. And you don't understand, like I've been I've been waiting on this. I, this moment has been you know around the corner for for some time now. Because like I said, my freshman year. You know, special team played a little bit sophomore year. You know, coming in and out, and and you think by the time you get to be a junior and senior like that, it might be that time. But then when everything, the coaching changes happen, you know, people different coaches come in with their own mentalities and stuff like that. But for me, I was like, man, I'm I'm here. Ole Miss, you know, uh, bought into me when you know uh, Tennessee didn't, and many other schools didn't, and so. Um, I'm here, you know, I'm, I'm a rebel and I'm going to work with whatever we have because I'm a firm believer that it's not about what you have, it's how you work with what you do have. And so, um, yeah, that was my mindset. So I was I was going to be there. And when he said that, that was even more so like, man, you know what, he might be all right. And then when he was like, Pete Willie, I want you to be my general, my defense. And I was like, 
real? I'm like, man, <laughs> I'm a little nervous, but I'm like, oh. I remember like when he asked me that, I remember just being like, ooh, you know, that's that's big, but it, and it's like, and, and, I, and I'm a realist, like, you know, I have to take a deep breath because sometimes you can answer too quick and like, what the heck did I just, either way, it's going to be like, yes, but, you know, it's one thing I take a deep breath and be like, man, the time, the time is now. Like, this is what it's all been for. And so when you see, you know, a tackle like that in the LSU game, that's part of all that, you know, that legacy or whatnot of just wanting to make sure that you, you know, left the position, um, that you that you held it down, um, that you played it the right way and, and left your mark doing it. So It's crazy to think about you being in that phase of your career because I think for those of us who watched you, we'd say – that guy's got a skill set that'll translate to any defense. He could play anywhere in any era and he'd be just fine because you also could cover really well too. So like it wasn't just as simple as, oh, you're this big brooding linebacker and you wouldn't have the speed to play with the way that offenses are spread out. But I got to imagine being able to kind of step back these last seven years, you know, not necessarily as a player, but as a consumer of the sport. How different is it really playing the linebacker position, looking at the way that everything is structured now with the rule changes and, and everything that goes into it? How different is it to play the linebacker position now, just even compared to as recently as when you were playing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I feel like it's a lot different now. And when I say a lot different, I mean, you know, football is still football. But what made me really enjoy the game of football was the physical aspect of it. Like, you could, as a defender, it was your job to defend at all costs. You was not going to get a yard or get into that end zone. And I could do whatever I needed to do to make sure that that was not going to happen in, in, in within the within the game and how it was then. Um, now, you know, I remember, I think it was 2010 when they had that first rule change of the receiver running five yards underneath. And now you can't hit them. And I remember being like, wait a minute. Like what's what's going on? Like if, you, if they start making these kind of changes now, and football is a physical sport, I'm like, you know, like that ain't that's not good. And so that's when I started having a little like a little, you know, um, but you have to adjust your game or not. But I still have to say, you know, at the end of the day, you play the game, and I guess in what it is now, time, you know, uh, is changes the is the constant, and so you got to learn to you know change with the times and hit in ways that again for me. I'm glad and I'm glad I have to think about it a whole lot because I yeah, trying to think about am I am I gonna put it just like this? Am I just like this when the only thing in my head is quick twitch and you know moving? Obviously, I'm not thinking in my head like, you know, I want to hit somebody, you know, wrong or illegally or whatnot, but it is football and the physics and the way things are moving and me quite honestly, I'd rather for you to hit me in my, in my upper body. And maybe, you know, give me a dinger, then it hit me in my knee. And, 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 and he better give me a dinger, I'm probably out two weeks when I hit my knee, I'm out for, you know, a season. Again, not saying one is better than the other, but if you speaking of that, but I'm sound like to say, uh, man, there's some good guys playing um, um, football right now. And the way that it's, you know, they're requiring it to be played. And so, you know, that's phenomenal uh, to see, but there was nothing like, you know, be able to line up uh, big against big, uh, seven on seven on trenches, and know that like, man, you finna have to. It's gonna be a dog. This is this gonna be a doggy doggy world. Like it's 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 really going down. Like it's it's rough in here. And the quarterbacks, I couldn't imagine what the quarterbacks thought back in the day with. Like I'm thinking, like I, matter of fact, Corey, I'm gonna tell you, I, I remember being in college, and I would always uh, on Sundays. 
I, after my freshman year, I didn't have to go to study hall anymore because my grades were, you know, it's like, all right, we want to, you're going to do what you need to do. So as long as you're doing that, you can, you know, come in with the little the requirement time and da da da. So what I would do on game on Sundays was I would watch NFL classics. But back then, that's when the NFL Network or NFL Classic Game, they was always playing on NFL Classic Games. So I'd be watching them guys and I would be like, man, like I was six years old. You know what I mean? I'm sorry, like I was in the sixth grade all over again. I'd be like, Man, that's what I'm talking about. Like just, just how you would just hit somebody so solid and just ferocious. And I was like, man, I can't wait to get, you know, I just want to try to hit people like that in college. And I'm like, one day, man, if I get to that level, you know, uh, when I get to that level, because I always had the the expert that I always had the desire to, you know, not just desire, but the vision to get to the next level. But when you're in the moment of the stage of college, it's like, you know, I don't want to change myself. I, I'm not, I wouldn't want to be, yeah, I'm gonna be there, I'm gonna get there. I was like, you know what? Just take care of this day. If I can take care of this day, then the next day, and if they add up, and when the time comes, you know, just all that stuff. And so watching the NFL classics as it was back in the day, when they were just brute strong, like I fell in love with what that was. And now, you know, I, you know, I'm not going. It's still football, but it's uh, it's different. You know, I, yeah, it's different. There you go. It's just different. <laughs> so. Do you still get the, I, I can tell by the way, just listening to you talk about, about hating people and stuff like that. I got to imagine at some point in those first couple of years post retirement where August rolls around, you're like, man, I still feel like I got it. How, how strong did that itch ever get for you? You know, truthfully, uh, man, it's going to sound kind of like, oh, you didn't love the game. And it's like, no, it's not that I did not love the game. I just, just since I was young, I'd always, you know, I heard like saying NFL stands not for long. And so, but I also know that there were guys who, you know, had careers that, you know, where either, you know, only got one, only got to play one year or never even got a chance to get even get in the training camp. And so for me, you know, I was when the time came and I remember telling myself my uh, freshman, my rookie year, I was like, man, I no longer have that passion to to play, um, to go out and give everything I have. Um, give my teammates, the organization, the fans, everything I have, it'd be time to step away from that game. I have to figure out what's next in life. Don't mean I'm going to want to, but sometime in life, you got to know when it's time to step away. Like, even when you heard something like this, plenty of people who have, you know, probably passed on, it's like, I'm not ready to go yet, but when it's your time to go, you got to know when you got to go. And I've, I felt it with all of me. And so I told myself, I was like, man, for whatever it's worth, you know, when you start feeling that, feeling you have to remember, like, you know, it's not that you couldn't go out and hit another hit, you know, make another play or, you know, um, get get a, get another hoorah, but it was something so much more bigger than that, that sometimes I feel like it's beyond the words. Um, so to answer your question, like, I, it was, it was the thing that when I would start feeling my toes, like, it took me a while to even feel like I wouldn't, get back at it because I, I was just like, man, I feel like I feel my body just needed to to heal and, and rest in my feet for some reason. My toes, no matter what I would do, them things, I'm like, man, I cannot get these. I'm like, maybe it's just not meant for me to be in these cliques. Like, after a while, you're like, what else can I? And some, it's like, well, maybe, it's, maybe you know, you're probably not supposed to be, you know, putting these on your feet anymore, you know, put something else more comfortable on. So that's, you know, that was just my way of being like, well, okay, I think I'm Think uh, you know, hit you that say to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Like that's insanity, and the way I was feeling in my feet and whatnot. So, but that still didn't mean that I didn't have aspects that I missed about the game because it was when you think about going into 
you know, battle with your teammates. You think about what it was like, you know, those weeks of practice when things wasn't so good, but you had to find a way to, you know, bond together. And even the hard times, like, those are things that don't really in the, in the outside world and the world after, you know, is it maybe it just comes with time because a lot of guys, you know, you spend a lot of time with those guys that you build and on the outside. Maybe it's just that I just haven't hit that, found that, that same, you know, uh, but, you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. It's, it's all right. It's, Patrick, this has been great. I, I want to close you out with some, uh, some rapid fire, just five questions. First thing that comes to mind. Does that work for you? Okay. Okay. All right. First one, your favorite SEC road venue was what? First, favorite, favorite. SEC, favorite SEC road venue. Uh, oh, shucks. All right. Uh, Auburn. Jordan I, Harris, I, I, real deal. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say Auburn. Uh, Auburn and LSU, because I remember the, the loudness, like those, those are the stadium. That's what it, because it was a stadium. We didn't get to do anything too much more fun than, than that. But it was just remember how loud those stadiums were. Like I was like to the point that was like almost like they want to crack your eardrums. I was like, holy crap! So yeah, <laughs> squat, bench, or deadlift. Ah, uh, squat one, two, uh, uh, bench, and three deadlift. Interesting. People usually go deadlift one. They just want to lift a bunch of weight. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm going to squat. I feel like it's in my, my hips. My, my, yeah, because I'm made on the linebacker and it's like leverage like inside your core, your hips. Like that's the core. So, yeah, I'm going to go with squats at number one. Okay. Did Jim Harbaugh uh, ever ask you to tackle him in practice? Because that seems like something he would do. Uh, no, he, he never asked me to tackle him in uh, practice, but I always, I did. Uh, I did always, I did always admire him at practice for the fact that he was a, he was a, he was a quarterback. But you would have thought he played D line the way he walked. And I'm like, man, coach, like you must have a beating. Why are you walking with your hips like that? You know, like, <laughs> shout out to coach, love you, coach. But yeah, I used to be like, man, you walking like this. Get <laughs> some characters that you played for, yeah. man. Between he and Otron, like goodness gracious, gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, that's some amazing coaches, man. <laughs> uh, go to cheat meal. For you, and I say cheat meal because anybody that stays in shape as well as you do, I assume that there's one. Maybe it's a Sunday meal, something like that. That you're like, all right, this is worth going all in for. Oh man, I'm I love I'm a sucker ice cream. I, I love ice cream. Um, pizza, pizza and ice cream, right? Pizza like I have days where I might just. My like actually yesterday was that Sunday was that day where it was pizza and ice cream. <laughs> That's how every Sunday should be. You got it. You got. It. Uh, <laughs> All right, last one. This is going to be tough. You're not going to like me for asking this, but you got to pick one: Ole Miss national title or 49ers win a Super Bowl. Ooh, Corey, man, you can do that one to me. All right, Ole Miss. All right, Ole Miss. I have to choose one. Man, usually I, beat I do this to other people. I'm like, but you got to choose one. Like, <laughs> I'll probably say Ole Miss uh, winning the national championship would be pretty dope because it's been a long time since they have 
want to win. But, man, that was a tough one, man, because I know because the Niners would be nice they get number six, you know, because that would be big for the franchise. And so, man, you, you got me with that one, for <laughs> uh, But, yeah, I'm going to go with the one in the middle. I'm going uh, go, go to Ole Miss. Nothing wrong with that. Patrick, this has been great, man. Uh, everyone go check out universe52.com for all the opportunities Patrick's offering up, opening up a little a little piece of himself post-football. Really appreciate the time, man. Uh, no, I appreciate it, Connor. Thanks for having me. And listen, you know, there's 12 days left uh, to sign up. I mean, 12 days until the watch party. Um, so um, you guys go to sign up. And What's uh, the date for that? What's the date for that? Because this will come out. This will come out later. Yeah, October 30th. October 30th. Perfect. 49ers versus the Rams. Awesome. Love it. Great stuff, man. We'll talk soon. Appreciate it. Uh, yes, Patrick Willis called me Corey twice. No, <laughs> I wasn't about to correct him because he could have called me Carla and I would have just nodded politely because <laughs> that's sorry. That's just, that's just the way that I am. I'm not gonna... There are very few instances and well, I don't know if you're like this too, but when someone like says your name wrong to correct them in that moment. Like I, I get an Ogara versus Ogara on radio mm-hmm. all the time. And I usually just don't correct people if they call me Ogara, unless it's a regular spot. And I'm like, all right, I don't want to go on a weekly show. And they like, they're mispronounced my name every single time. But for the most part, I usually just turn a blind eye to that. I've been called Corey in a long time. I haven't. It's been a minute. To your point, it's like, yeah, go into the passport office now, big dog. My name's Corey now. No big deal. <laughs> I have legally changed my name to Corey O'Gara because Patrick Willis decided that it sounded better. He corrected himself at the end of it, too, which is interesting. But yeah, it happens nonetheless. Okay, we move on. He was great. It was great to have him on. Mm-hmm. Let's close with some SEC power rankings. This is going to upset a lot of people. And um, I'll, ex- I'll explain some of this. We're not going to break down every single spot, but I'll go in order. I'll go in reverse order here. So 14, mm-hmm. we got Vandy. 13, Mizzou, 12, Auburn, 11, Florida, 10, A&M. Gosh, I might have to switch those two. I might have to switch those two. We'll see. Nine, yeah. South Carolina, eight, Arkansas, seven, Mississippi State, six, Kentucky, five, Ole Miss, four, LSU, three, Alabama, two, Georgia, one, Tennessee. So if if you're listening to this and you're like, wait a minute, this team has the head-to-head against this team, how could you rank this team ahead of this team? Believe it or not, if you actually did these yourself, you'd realize that that doesn't all work out perfectly and you can't just mm-hmm. sit here and do that. And if you want to say, oh, South Carolina is definitely better, is definitely a better team overall than Kentucky, I would I would push back and say, well, it's, it's still, we're not talking about at full strength. That might be a little bit different. Who would I take neutral site game that's being played tomorrow? I'd still probably take Kentucky. And that's the way that I try and base these rankings on. And I realize okay, Arkansas lost A&M, neutral site. Mm-hmm. What's A&M done? They just lost three consecutive games. So that has to be factored into this. And they're probably at a little bit of a different place right now um, overall. So a lot of people probably not going to like those rankings, probably not going to like the fact that I have Tennessee at one ahead of Georgia and Alabama. But I have Tennessee at one because I'm like, okay, well, if I predicted Tennessee to beat Georgia – and I think Tennessee is going to go into Athens and win that game, then why wouldn't I have Tennessee at number one? Because I already beat Alabama, right? You get what I'm saying? Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, too, like, I hate to be this guy. It's, and I understand it's a completely different philosophy of football and like when travel, whatever. It obviously it took Hypel two tries to beat Alabama. And it took Kirby, what, like five or six years? Because it wasn't until last year. So if he took over in 16, and that's not a knock against Kirby, it's just that, that we've always said until you beat Alabama in this conference, 
I just can't take you that seriously. And that's why I'm still hesitant about two weeks from now with Brian Kelly, because he's never beaten Nick Saban. And so it's like when you break that glass ceiling in your Tennessee, the world can be your oyster because there's not a scarier team on the face of the earth than Alabama. And so once you see yourself doing that, that was kind of the issue with Kirby that we talked about, where it's like, you know, you led in all these games, but then Alabama just roared back. And when Tennessee was in a similar position, we saw them get aggressive, you know, with the onside kick and with, you know, they trusted their guys. And so I think that you got to give credit to those guys. And to your point, I'm talking about the top now. So the South Carolina thing, Will Levis is such a big deal for that offense. I just think that's, I mean, if if you see how they played versus Ole Miss and how they played in other games, you know, con- con- counting the Mississippi State game versus yeah. the South Carolina game, the South Carolina game was aberration. But point being, I didn't give South you, Carolina its credit too for winning that game on the road. I, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, I made sure not to take away from them, but I think even South Carolina fans would be like, yeah, you know, from an overall perspective, our offense really tough. And even if we feel like our defense is improving, this is not all of a sudden a top five team in the SEC. Yeah. And to your point, I think this follows. There's only like one head to head that doesn't follow the formula because you go, well, yeah, I mean, like Mississippi State obviously is not better than Kentucky. We saw that Arkansas obviously beat South Carolina. So you got to kind of put those two right there and follow that formula. But yeah, to your point at the top, it's interesting because Georgia and Tennessee are playing obviously soon. (laughs) So we get to see. And if you're a Georgia fan mad about power rankings or rankings overall, I mean, whatever. Um, But we'll get to see. And same thing with Kentucky and Tennessee. I'm sure Kentucky fans would like a shot at them as well. And it's hey, good news. It's coming. Yeah. I mean, I still have Ole Miss ahead of Kentucky. So sometimes you do default to the head-to-head because you're like, all right, well, how different do I think this team is now versus when they actually played? And that goes into it. And it's not. this isn't predicting order or finish, by the way. I don't want anybody to misconstrue right. that. I'm not saying without a doubt that Tennessee is winning the SEC because, like, honestly, if we're talking about this and what if it would potentially be Tennessee against Alabama and SEC championship, and I realize Georgia fans just got upset by me saying that or even hinting that that could be a possibility, then, of course, Alabama in a rematch probably going to win when, when, uh, when, when any sort of in-season rematch like that, I would I would bet on Nick Saban to. Um, mm-hmm. But as of right now, where these teams stand, and I'm not just basing this on Tennessee putting up 2 billion points uh, against UT Martin, okay? I think Tennessee right. is worthy of that number one spot, and nobody else in the conference has shown yet they, they are on that level. And by the way, Tennessee's win against LSU is looking better and better. It is. <laughs> I texted you that during the Bama game. And you were like, look at this guy in his agenda. And I was like, no, no, no. This is a very good Tennessee team. I am now convinced there was very few situations where LSU could have hung with this Tennessee team, especially when they just fumbled punts. So, yeah. And everybody keeps saying, and I, and I saw this play out over the course of the week. It's like, well, Tennessee can't win a national championship with this defense. And I'm not saying that I, I think Tennessee can win a national championship. I think a team that beats an AP top five team for the first time in 17 years, having to still beat probably three more AP top five teams in order to win a national championship. I still think that is an uphill climb to be able to do that. But what kind of gets lost in the shuffle of people saying, well, Tennessee can't do this because their defense is this. I think some of that ignores how good their run defense has been. And I think as much of a liability as they are in the back end, and we've seen teams that have been successful stretching the field, whether it was Anthony Richardson, whether it was Bryce Young, we've seen quarterbacks that can kind of have their day get into that sort of rhythm. I also think at the same time, at least you have that one dimension on defense, okay? Flirt with mediocrity. Mm-hmm. That's what we talk about all the time. Flirt with mediocrity on that side of the ball. They are really- More of my life, Connor. <laughs> story of my life. And and that to me kind of makes the, the equation a little bit different. And I don't know if that makes them- 2018 Oklahoma-ish with a team that was so unbelievably bad defending the pass 
and just had no mm-hmm. prayer whatsoever, but also wasn't as good of a run defense as what Tennessee is from an efficiency mm-hmm. standpoint and all that. So that, those linebackers, boy. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. Just, they are. The back end's not. Yeah, the just yeah. back end just ain't good. So that's that's how I would go right now. Yeah, top five, in case you forgot, Ole Miss five, uh LSU four, Bama three, Georgia two, Tennessee one. Any other big disagreements there uh before we wrap things up? I just want to say one thing, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to talk about this, but if you're a Georgia fan in Tennessee, the, the, I'm, I'm not going to say the dream scenario because a Georgia fan or any fan you want to beat everybody, but there is a situation where if you're a Georgia fan and Tennessee plays Georgia close but wins, then makes the SEC championship and inexplicably beats Alabama again, mm-hmm. Georgia could make the playoff yep. without ever playing Alabama because Alabama would have two losses both to Tennessee yep. and Georgia would only have one loss to Tennessee. And as a committee, you're not going to go, well, they just need a third try to beat Tennessee. Like that, that's over. So I think Georgia's in a great position right now. So if you think us putting Tennessee over them is, I mean, unless they inexplicably lose to some random team like Georgia Tech, which I think at this point is pretty much not going to happen. Yeah. You're, you're, you're pretty much, you control your own destiny even if you don't you know what i'm saying if you're georgia and you beat tennessee and then you lose to alabama you might still be in as well so really if you just don't completely puke on your shoes in your georgia you have a very easy point play to the college football playoff and then the preseason where you're talking about they got to lose a game the defense is taking a step back da-da-da. and not only that with the way your offense is played and be real with yourself here this is a great situation to be in if you're georgia yeah this is this is what you could have asked for because in addition to all those things that Oregon win is aging like a fine it wine. It looks, oh man, it's Ooh, the opposite boy. of AM's Miami win. It's yes. like each every you open the little wine cellar, you look, oh my gosh, this Oregon win. Mm. <laughs> Meanwhile, that AM Miami win aged like an avocado, man. Not great. <laughs> Not great. Yeah, but think about that. That's the other part of it. If you're 11 and one, and if you don't have a conference championship that you're playing in, but you do have that big time non conference game, I mean, I'm old enough to remember. When Georgia fans looked at that remaining schedule after Oregon and they're like, crap, it's going to be really difficult to rack up these quality wins. And now the Oregon win has aged the way that it has. The Tennessee game is going to have such a huge buildup and the implications of that are so significant that I do think it does kind of change their resume and what we think of them long term. But yes, the four team SEC playoff, that's dead. That had a very short <laughs> shelf life. That needed an Ole Miss victory, and that still was yeah. unlikely. But uh, the three-team SEC playoff bid, still unlikely on life support. But I think the SEC getting two teams in seems very realistic at this point. It really does. And we'll wait yeah. and see how the playoff rankings play out. By the way, a uh, week from Tuesday will be the first playoff ranking show that I know everybody's excited for and we totally won't overreact to. So look out for that. We're going to have a lot of playoff takes moving forward. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name read on air with Figure It Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.